You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Ischemic heart disease is thought of as the number one killer of Americans, but do we not give enough respect to the atherosclerotic process in the peripheral vasculature? Come explore with me this Rodney Dangerfield of vascular disease as I welcome in Dr. William Pierce, Chairman of the Department of Vascular Surgery at Northwestern University in Chicago. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and this is the Clinician's Roundtable. Welcome, uh, Dr. Pierce. Thank you for having me today. Uh, I thought we could start uh, by talking about how we in our offices can recognize and diagnose peripheral vascular disease. Uh, We know some of the classic presentations, but can you elaborate on some of the things we should be looking for in our offices? Well, patients will come to the office presenting uh, many different things, and it's important for the clinician to separate out the ones that are caused by the arterial disease and those that are caused by the musculoskeletal problems or cardiovascular problems. And uh, sometimes it's very difficult, but classically the patient will complain of muscle pain or pain in a muscle group, either the calf or the buttocks upon walking. And this is a type of pain that will generally cause them to stop. And as uh, shortly after stopping, the muscle pain will relax and they'll be able to walk again. This is a classical form of uh, claudication, but there's other ones that often cause the patient not to walk at all. And they eventually just avoid walking entirely. And so they don't complain of claudication. They just don't uh, simply walk. And so their activity level is very low. And that's sort of the silent, like a silent myocardial infarction. It's the silent of, of form of a peripheral vascular disease. So we should be uh, on the lookout for uh, that atypical presentation, someone who just doesn't walk so the pain is not brought on. That's correct. And uh, the only time that you get it is through a history that they avoid long walks, they avoid going to the subway or taking public transportation because they don't have the ability to even make it that far. The uh, other symptoms that uh, sometimes can fool the clinician is the patient may complain of pain at rest. And the classic rest pain is pain in the foot right around the metatarsal heads, and that's usually at night wakes the patient up, but occasionally patients will come in and present with calf pain at night, and that's an entirely different problem. It's usually cramps or charley horses or some unrelated cause. So it's important to separate out rest pain, which is ominous for a vascular problem, but rest pain from a non-vascular problem is very common. That's pain in other parts of the body other than just the foot. And I suppose the comorbidities or risk factors of the patient uh, should heighten or lessen our index of suspicion. That's correct, you know, particularly if they have associated coronary or cerebral vascular disease. But that's uh, not always true. The, the Capri study clearly showed that there are separate groups of patients, those with predominantly peripheral vascular disease, those predominantly with uh, coronary artery disease, and those with primarily cerebral vascular disease. And the small percentage of patients really have the overlap of all three or two of those. Uh, So a patient may present simply with claudication, but they certainly have all the other risk factors that you're familiar with, uh, such as smoking and cholesterol and hyperlipidemias and uh, family histories. So that's very interesting because I I will often think of atherosclerosis as kind of a uh, systemic whole body type of process, but it can affect just one or or two vascular beds. I think the supposition that it's a systemic disease is correct, but local manifestations may be more prevalent in one vascular bed than another. And 
vascular disease uh, tends to be very heterogeneous in its uh, distribution, and you uh, may find patients uh, that have the predominance of their symptoms in the lower extremity, but their asymptomatic disease is in the heart, which may be subcritical in, in nature and not require treatment. The symptoms in one vascular bed should at least alert us to the possibility of atherosclerosis elsewhere, uh, but you can't see one system predominate in terms of the symptomatology. That's correct. And then when we go to examine the patient, are there particular things we should be looking for? Well, the easiest thing from a clinician's point of view is feeling pulses, but it can be difficult in people with swollen feet and uh, heavier patients to feel the pedal pulses, but with some uh, time and effort, you can generally feel those. The popliteal pulse is uh, traditionally a hard one to feel, and it's even true for me. And you put your hands behind the knee and, and try to feel that pulse. And if the patient's slender, it is, it's relatively easy to feel. But with any uh, muscle mass or, or, or weight, it's, it's very difficult to feel. And the femoral pulses are also uh, quite easy to feel. Um, and that helps you from a clinical point of view. If you can feel good femoral pulses and no peripheral pulses, you know that the problem sits between the femoral artery and the pedal vessels, and that tells you it's usually superficial femoral disease. If the patient has no femoral disease, then it tells you everything is proximal. And uh, if you have a hard time feeling pulses, it's easy enough, at least in uh, most offices, to have a Doppler. The Dopplers uh, range from uh, $400 to $600, and uh, the pencil Doppler, which is the one that looks just like a pencil, is perfect for just uh, listening to the pedal pulses, particularly if you have a hard time feeling them. And just listening, after you've listened long enough, you can detect just from ear what sounds like a good uh, strong pulse and one that's uh, biphasic. But early on, you'll probably have to do uh, what's called an ankle brachial index, and uh, that's measuring the ankle pressure, the systolic pressure in the dorsalis pedis or posterior tibial pulse, taking the higher number and comparing it to the brachial pressure, again, in the higher arm. Remember that uh, atherosclerosis affects the left subclavian, so it's important to do blood pressures in both arms. And again, just using the Doppler, measure the systolic pressure in both arms, take the higher arm, which is almost always the right, and then it is divided by the uh, ankle pressure, so that gives you a ratio, and it should be one. So the ankle pressure should equal the arm pressure, and things below 0.9 are considered abnormal, and under 0.3 are considered uh, severe or uh, limb salvage or, uh, situation. And is it uh, ever adequate to do this without a Doppler? Can you take a brachial systolic blood pressure in the right arm and put a, a big cuff around the, the calf and feel the dorsalis pedis, or that's really not uh, adequate? That's probably not adequate. Your fingers aren't, aren't probably good enough to feel that. The, uh, the exception to the rule is uh, your diabetic patient. Uh, the diabetic patient has calcified arteries, and the, the blood pressure uh, cuff uh, physically cannot compress the artery, and so the pressures that you obtain in the ankle are 200 or greater. So those are spurious numbers, and the diabetic patient often require additional blood pressure testing in a vascular lab or blood flow lab. You are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and I'm speaking with Dr. William Pierce, Chief of Vascular Surgery at Northwestern University in Chicago, and we are discussing diagnosis of peripheral vascular disease. 
Dr. Pierce, I read somewhere that uh, if you do get that indication of calcification with those very high pressures or an ankle branchial index over 1.3, a toe brachial index, is that something that really is in practice? It is commonly used in our diabetic patients to get a feeling for the level of perfusion. And interestingly, the blood vessels within the toe are spared the calcific process. And by using a small blood pressure cuff, you can obtain the pressure in the toe just as you would do in the ankle and compare it to the arm. And anything above 50 or 60 is considered normal. Even though it's not systemic pressure, it's very close to what's normal in the toe. Very interesting. And on exam, is listening with the stethoscope for bruies of value? Bruies are present uh, when there's any turbulent flow, and that may represent a stenosis anywhere from about 50% up to about 70%. The higher grades of stenosis may not make any sounds at all. So if it's present, it's a good clinical finding, but if it's absent, it, it doesn't really mean much. I sometimes have trouble making the clinical differentiation between vascular claudication and neurogenic claudication. Are there things on history and exam that would uh, point us one way or the other? Generally on uh, history, what tips you off is the relatively low level of muscular activity that produces symptoms in the neurogenic claudicator. If you think about it, uh, the muscles have to generate the lactic acidosis to require the vasodilatation that increases the blood flow. So when a patient tells me that he, he, when he stands up and he can't make it across a small room, that tends to imply that's a neurogenic problem. The two symptoms and diseases can intermix as well. And in those situations, we often ask patients uh, to undergo a walking treadmill test. And generally, we put the patients on, uh, we measure their ankle brachial index, we put them on a standard treadmill, and we have them walk until they develop leg symptoms. And then the patient's taken off the treadmill, and blood pressures are repeated in the ankle. And the blood pressure in general with exercise is, increases, and so does the ankle pressure. And so we look for those findings in the normal situation. In a patient who has exercise-induced problems, you'll see the drop in the ankle brachial index during exercise you know, profoundly. In the patient with neurogenic claudication, you won't see that drop. And that'll help you separate it out uh, from the blood flow lab's uh, point of view. And then sometimes you really are in a quandary and you have no good way to separate the two processes. And in those instances, uh, generally a MRA or a CTA will help localize the disease process. And if the process, particularly atherosclerosis, is localized, an angioplasty can be done simply, and that helps you uh, helps to avoid a back problem or back surgery in those patients with mixed disease. Tell me a little more about the ankle brachial index from a, a practical standpoint. Should we be doing these in primary care offices on everyone with risk factors? That's a very controversial area. I think your wisdom is the best. I think if they have all the risk factors, you, they're all treated uh, appropriately. You can use the ankle brachial index uh, as a baseline, and if you find patients who happen to have a very low ankle brachial index, I think that's the point that you would recommend that they take particular care with their feet. I mean, these are patients who have disease in the feet almost as bad as a diabetic, so you caution them about 
trimming their toenails and new shoes. Because what will precipitate a serious problem is if they get a sore on an ischemic foot, then that will tend not to heal, and then the patient has to be referred on for vascular surgery or some intervention. Again, from a practical standpoint, uh, is this ankle brachial index a billable procedure? I don't think it is. Uh, There was uh, some lobbying by the vascular medicine group to have that done, but I don't, it's given a code, but I do not think at the present time that code is reimbursed. Well, I would like to thank Dr. William Pierce, who has been our guest. He is the chairman of the Department of Vascular Surgery at Northwestern University in Chicago, and we've been discussing the diagnosis of peripheral vascular disease. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.